One of the problems with getting older is that sometimes the world passes you on and you're not too sure what's happening. Uh, I graduated college in 1974, went on to law school, and then I also went to seminary. Uh, in both law school and seminary, they didn't use these techniques, but in high school and college, they had a, uh, a technique of teaching you how to write and to argue by doing what is known as compare and contrast. You are given a topic and you're to compare and contrast the good, the bad, the whatever. And um, that's an effective way to drive home a point. Well, the writer of Hebrews is going to do the same thing. He's going to contrast two mountains. He's going to contrast Mount Sinai and he's going to contrast Mount Zion. And so that's the purpose of what he's writing here to give us a better understanding of what God is doing and what God has done. And so if you'll turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 18, it says this. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. The writer here is bringing us back to an incident uh, in Exodus. After the people have been freed from slavery in, in Egypt by God's powerful wonders and deeds, and he brought them through the Red Sea so that they might walk on dry land and that the Egyptian army was drowned there and, and that he provided them with manna and water and brought them to Mount Sinai so that he might provide his law. And he told them for a couple of days that you are to become clean, you're to uh, become ritually clean, you're to wash yourselves and you're to avoid certain contact and do those things so that when you come on this third day to the mountain to hear from God, you will be clean. And, and the prohibition was that you are not to go up on the mountain until a specific time. And if that happened, you were to be stoned. And even if an animal was to go to the mountain, that they were to shoot it with an arrow or kill it in some way, but they're not to do so by touching the mountain. They were to kill it from a distance. And so they were there uh, to present themselves before God. Now, the point I want to make here is this is a people who God has rescued, that God has called, that God has freed, and he is calling them to be his people. So this is a, we're friends, if you will. This isn't we're enemies. This is we're friends. And so they've been called to hear the word of God. But when they saw the smoke and the fire, and the trembling of the earth, and the blast of the trumpets, they became fearful. It says even Moses, who had a previous experience with God in the bush that didn't was burning but wasn't consumed, even he goes, whoa, I, this is fearful. This is, I'm scared. But they're friends. But God... So they're so afraid that what they do is they say, Moses, you go talk to God. We'll stay here. 
You become the mediator between God and us. Whatever God tells you, we'll do, but we don't want to go because we're afraid. Now, as a side note, I always find it interesting that those who are non-believers, who believe that there is a God, who think that someday when they're called to heaven to account for their life here on earth, they will say, well, I will just tell God X, how wonderful I am, how I gave to charity, how I never murdered anybody, and, you know, and, and, and I only took the stuff that I really wanted. And, you know, we have excuses for what we do, and yet, but, but overall, my life is great and good, and God will just let me in. In that conversation, you're not God's friend. Okay? He's there to judge you. These people are going. God has delivered them from slavery. God says, I'm going to talk to you so that you might know that I am God and that it might keep you from sinning. These people are coming to God as friends, as those who are going to be reconciled, and yet they're fearful. So I find it interesting when somebody says, well, I'll just talk to God. No, no, when you see God, you'll not say a word because you will be convicted by your own sin because of who God is and his glory. So don't talk to me about how you're just going to talk to God because people who are God's friends are scared to death. Kind of a side note. but. So he's saying, that's not the mountain you've come to. You haven't, you don't come to a mountain that scares you. You don't come to a mountain that looks like it's going to be judgment and that God is just going to shake the whole world and you in it. So he's, he's compared that. Now he's going to contrast it with Mount Zion, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. So we're not at the Mount Sinai. We're at Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So he says, there was fear and trembling and fire and smoke and earthquakes, and trumpets sounding, and it sounded like a fearful place. But Mount Zion is a mountain of grace and peace. And we've come there to that city, that new Jerusalem, that city of the living God, the place where God will dwell among his people. So we're there, and to a myriad of angels. Now, myriad means we just can't count them. There's 10,000 times 10,000. There's just a boatload and more of angels there. There's activity. There's not no one going and afraid of being there. There are myriads of angels. And to the General Assembly. Now, there's argument of what the General Assembly is, and so I'll give you my speculation. I kind of speculate it's probably the elders in heaven and that elders could be seraphim and cherubim and, and whatever could be apostles could be the, I know this when I get there, I'll know who they are because they're the general assembly. And so they're there and the church 
of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's us, guys. We're the church, the called out ones, the firstborn who have been enrolled in heaven. Our names are written in the book of life. So in this mountain where everybody else is fearful in Sinai, we come and we dwell there in peace and safety and not fear. And there'll be people there. Not only do we surprise that we're there, but we'll go. That person was such a jerk. I didn't know they were a Christian. You know, there are going to be people there we don't know. And there's going to be some other denominations that we don't think will be there, but they'll be there to, in spite of their denominations. And there's going to be a whole bunch of people whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they're there. And to God. It wouldn't be heaven without him. I used to share, and I'll share again, heaven sounded boring to me. Because everybody who ever talked about heaven talked about harps, and I, who wants to play a harp? Boring. You know, and he was up on cloud nine. Inch. When you're a young person, you know, now kind of sitting around doing nothing kind of sounds better. But when you're a young person, you want to be active. You want to, you know, this sounds boring. But the scriptures don't talk about a boring heaven. And God's and where God is, it is never boring. It's God's love. God's holy. God is who, and he does mighty wonders and deeds. He's not boring. And so God's there, who's the judge of all. He's the judge of the firstborn, the church, and he's the judge of those who are never born. And he will judge. But for us, we have that confidence. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, we are the spirit, those people who have not yet been resurrected, the spirit of the living. Those are there. And they've been made perfect, not by their works, but by Jesus' blood. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus will be there. As, as we read earlier, that he sat down at the right hand of the one who gave himself for us. The one who intercedes for us when we sin. When we mess up, and as people like today, when we make mistakes, it's called sin. When we do that, Jesus goes, I paid for it. He or she is still righteous. And Jesus is there. He's a mediator of that new covenant. To the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out saying, I was justified because I worshiped God. Jesus' blood cries out, we're justified because he paid it all. It speaks better than Abel. So when you're going to be in that kind of, you know, I'm not one of those people who like parties. Because usually I don't like the people who've been invited. Just 
You know, that's, that's not who I am. Uh, but this sounds like a great place to be. People have been saved by the Lord. People who as angels worship God. God himself and Jesus being there. That sounds like a place we want to be. Without fear, without trembling. And so now that he's compared and contrasts these two mountains, and how one is fearful and one is peace and grace, he then says, see to it, verse 25, that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him, who were warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. When the prophets came and when Jesus came, he spoke to us and warned us that we are sinners, that we have failed and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came if we simply have faith in him and believe in him that we will never die. If we hear that, but so many people, eh, you know, they either don't believe or they make a really critical mistake, not now, later. Assuming they have later to make a commitment. And he's saying, if when God spoke, you were responsible, how much more are you responsible when he spoke through Jesus? And he sent his son to die for us and to be raised again that we might be at this new mountain. And his voice shook the earth then. Back then, when God spoke there at that mountain, things shook. And that was one of the reasons they were afraid. And it's interesting, a lot of people are afraid of the earth shaking especially people who don't live in Southern California. You know, they'll, they'll live in tornadoes and hurricanes and whatever. The fact that the earth shakes, it freaks them out. I've kind of lived here a long time. Several years ago, we had the North Ridge earthquake. It woke me up and I went back to sleep before we go over. Yes, not the concern, but a lot of people freak out because it's not normal for the earth to move around. The scripture says it's going to move around. But not just the earth is going to move around. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised. He doesn't just say, he promised. Saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Nothing is going to be excluded from this shake. He's going to shake up heaven and earth. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. We are told since we live in an earthquake area that we're supposed to bolt down our televisions and our uh, bookcases and make sure the selves, so things don't fall on you. When God speaks and shakes, Nothing is going to be able to withstand it. As I've created things so that those things 
which cannot be shaken may remain. So God said, I'm going to remove the temporary and keep the permanent. Therefore, since we cannot be, I'm I'm sorry. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Ed mentioned today about all the things happening in the world. Even in a good day, the world seems to be going to hell in a handbag. That's on a good day. There are kingdoms that rise and fall. We don't live in the Roman Empire anymore. We don't live in the British Empire anymore. America is not as old as some buildings in Italy. So we think we've been around a long time. We're just getting started. But those things are not permanent. But we have been entitled and placed in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will not be changed. So when things fall apart in the rest of the world, we go, that's terrible. That's too bad. And I'll pray for them. But praise God, I'm a citizen of heaven. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. He's saying, because we have been placed into this kingdom, We should be grateful. It is amazing. You will see different studies that show that people who are grateful have a better mental stability than those who aren't. But how ungrateful are we if God has sent his son to save us and to cause us to have eternal life and to place us in his kingdom. To be ungrateful? Well, how are we? And we say, well, I'm, I'm not ungrateful. Have you thanked God lately? Have you praised his name because you are his child? Rather than complaining, you know, yesterday wasn't perfect. I stubbed my toe. My boss didn't recognize how great I am. I didn't get that raise. Got a headache. All we do is concentrate on the negative. And God says, look at all that I've done. for you. Your headache, well, either will or won't go away. But you won't take it to with you in heaven. Because you'll have a new body. So we are to show gratitude. Well, how do we show gratitude? By just saying thank you? Well, that's a start, but that's not what we do. It says, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service. You want to show God you're grateful? Serve him. Serve him. Well, how do I serve God? You love his people. You do for his people. You visit the stranger and the oppressed. You show kindness. You do those things that are an acceptable service. We do that to show gratitude for what God has done for us. 
with reverence and awe. We sing, and, there's a, and there is a common thread about, and, and it's not incorrect. What a friend we have in Jesus, because we do have a friend. But all too often, we treat Jesus as our friend like we treat our other friend. He's God. We need to acknowledge that even though he is our friend, we are to be reverence and awe of him. Because he is God. Yes, he loves us with an everlasting love. But he is God. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, I want to comment on a couple of things. We have this tendency to think that God is love and therefore he tolerates everything. He excuses everything. No, God hates sin and will consume it with fire. There is wrath. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are not two gods. He is the same. But even the God of the Old Testament, when Moses had a conversation with him, God was there in a bush that was burning and yet was not consumed. Because God was talking to a person that he was designating to lead his people. God will consume or God will show his power but he's God in both instances and we're not to forget that we have been given the privilege and the honor and the right to approach heaven and the holy of holies where God is by prayer and to find help in need help in our time of need and to find grace And yet we are entering the holy of holies. When Moses was there with a bush that was not consumed by fire, God said, take off your sandals because this ground is holy. When we approach God, we need to always approach him with the fact that yes, he loves us with an everlasting love, but he is holy. He is who is always. He loves us. He hates sin. And he has dealt with sin by sending his son. I want to go back to that Mount Zion. For the myriad of angels. Now this is going to sound almost heretical. I, I said before, when I was younger, I, heaven sounded boring. Until I fell in love with God, until I saw what the scriptures talked about, heaven. If you have difficulty praising God for about 20 minutes, heaven's probably not your place. When you're seeing myriads and myriads of angels falling on their face, Declaring holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord. And you don't want to fall on your face and say, holy, holy, holy. Maybe heaven's not your place. When you see believers struggling and you don't want to encourage them, maybe heaven's not your Now, it's not for me to say where you belong because I'd get it wrong 99.9% of the time. It's for God to determine. we all talk about wanting eternal life. Have eternal life. You need to fall in love with God. The consuming fire, God, and the fire that doesn't consume. The God who loves, the God who's holy, the God who hates. Because that's all of who he is. He's the same today yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. But he's called us to this place of grace and peace. And why you would not want that is beyond me. But there are those who don't. But when you feel that call on your soul, That's the spirit talking to you and come. Come to that mountain where others, angels, the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, God and Jesus himself. One of the disappointments in life is that we lose lose family and loved ones. They die. We're separated from them. But one of the awesome things about our faith is that there's going to come a time when there's a party with all those people. Not a party where everybody's getting drunk, but a party where everybody's going. I missed you. I loved you. And thank God so much that God does what God says, and that my hope was steadfast and sure, and that my faith was, and I no longer need hope, and I no longer need faith, because I see God for who he is, and that he loves, 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 and we are to do this. We come to that mountain where we're going to hear And we're going to see angels falling down at the feet of God, declaring who he is. And while I am here doing so as well by declaring that he is holy. Also kind of like going to a big concert where everybody's all involved. It'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. When there are myriads and myriads of angels and the church worshiping 
in unison. Don't miss it. All God's people said.